and so many great speakers in Singapore. And uh, there were so many wonderful ideas. I'll give you one that always kind of keeps coming to mind, which was Frederick Haran, who's another speaker like myself, talks on creativity, great speaker. And he said, um, the best marketing you can do is to give a great speech. Hey everybody, welcome to Live Your Legacy. Today's guest is someone for the past 20 years has been advising Fortune Global 500 companies, Silicon Valley CEOs, high-profile authors, speakers, governments, and leaders from Silicon Valley to Singapore on how to build innovative organizations, unlock creative potential, and increase productivity. He went from managing the careers of global rock stars to launching 20 online schools and talking about creativity with royalty, presidents, and billionaires. Recently, he was featured on a 30 Minutes BBC documentary about his life and work. On top of that, he has also backed many awards like the Award for Excellence from Geneva Group International and was also named as Entrepreneur of the Year from US Business and Marketing Automation Leaders Entreport. Please welcome the man who has been praised by NBC, Fox News, and Yahoo Finance for his inspirational and engaging keynote speakers, James Taylor. Hey, welcome to the call, James. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show today. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Okay, great. So first question off is, because I heard many, many podcasts, and I was just researching all about you and your videos and pretty excellent videos that you've been placing on your social media. So I just want to ask, since you've been talking and speaking for so long, when you first had the idea of speaking on stage, what made you think that you could become a great speaker like who you are today? I don't think I could ever think I could be a great speaker. I, I always thought, like, even if I can become a good speaker, that was, that was going to be good, and, good enough. Um, and, and maybe, if, you know, if I worked really, really hard, maybe you could become a great speaker. But the goal was really always just to, because I had something, things I wanted to say, a message I wanted to share with the world. Um, and that's really what kind of got me speaking on stage. And what was that message that you really wanted to share that made you go from, I know you were managing like rock stars and then for you to go out and say, hey, I want to push out this message as a speaker. Yeah, so for me, I've, I've always been around obviously very creative individuals, uh, music industry and other industries, technology industry before. But the thing I, I always really wanted to get across was how anyone could unlock their creative potential. You see, I, I believe that everyone is born with unlimited creative potential uh, through our schooling systems and other things and our peer groups sometimes that can get knocked out of us. So the big mission for me was always how to unlock the, the creative potential from the most number of people. And speaking is just one way of doing that. There's so many different ways that you can help people today with going online and videos and some of the, you know, what you do with podcasts. But I just, I, I really enjoyed that process of going up on stage. And that's probably because even before I got into speaking, I was a musician. So I was very used to being on stages. My father was a musician. My grandfather was a musician. So being on stage was very, was very much in the family business. Okay, great. So you're pretty great at keynote speeches right now. And because you're very passionate in it, right? And many might think that as a great speaker, you might have a natural gift of speaking. That's an assumption that a lot of people have. But what I really want to know was, how was your first few months of like transiting from that rock star to uh, managing rock stars to getting on the stage and speaking? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty rocky. I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this where I, I, I love watching YouTube and you see great people who are amazing uh, YouTubers, 
But then I also love going watching their very first one, two or three videos. And you see how different they are from that to where they are today and what you know them for today. So for me, I remember going out and doing, uh, I, I, I got booked to do a paid speaking engagement, but I hadn't really given any, uh, um, I hadn't really given that speech before. So I'm just kind of getting started. I knew this was the speech was all about creativity and I was booked to give it in a, in a, a few months time. So what I decided to do was to reach out to lots of local associations and say, listen, can I just come and speak to you for free? And uh, things like Rotary um, you know, Club and all these different types of associations. And I would be giving maybe five, six speeches a week uh, in the run-up to giving that proper paid speech. And the first ones were really rocky, but what's nice in going and speaking to lots of different audiences, uh, you get to like a comedian, you get to gradually figure out which bits work which bits don't work, what you can get rid of, what you need to maybe accentuate a little bit more, how to use your body. So that was really, really great training. But I mean, I, I have recorded all of those very early speeches um, and I'm a little bit worried to go and look back at some of them today, but, but that's fine. We, we all have to learn. We all have to start somewhere. Okay. And for all those, to, for all those speakers that are right now listening and those speakers that are starting out, right? When you just now, you mentioned about how you were just giving free talks and free talks and free talks, and probably this is by adding value to them, right? How was it like getting those first few, like approaching those first few organizations to give free talks for them? Yeah, so for the way I think about it is, is whether I'm getting paid to give a speech or whether I'll waive my fee occasionally, it might be for a charity I feel particularly passionate about or, or an organization I care, I have some connection with, I still, I have to deliver 100%. So, so I kind of go in with that mindset. It doesn't matter whether I'm being paid or not for an event. I'm going in and giving 100% for them. But one of the things that was maybe kind of useful in those, um, those early days was I was giving a lot of speeches in my home country of, of Scotland in the UK. Now, the people of Scotland, as lovely as the people of Scotland are, they're not known for being very exuberant with their praise. They're How not like, you know, you know, quite I, I, yeah, they're very quite, they sit back, you know, with their arms folded and it's, it's a cultural thing. It's, it's, it's not that they're not enjoying it. They kind of sit like this. And, and so that was actually quite useful training because you really had to work very hard to crack them, to, to be able to kind of get them to show emotion and, and be, a, you, know, you know, get some kind of response from them. So then after that, after I started speaking more internationally, I think last year I spoke in 26 countries last year. And you go and speak in other countries like, like America, for example, or if you would speak in the Philippines or you know, other parts I was speaking in uh, Thailand recently, and they're more exuberant types of audiences. They, you know, they applaud, they, they kind of get into it, they, they, they're, they're, they're great. Um, but I think that was quite useful training, going and speaking to audiences initially who were just kind of, I knew they were going to sit a little bit like that, so I had to really work hard. I had to, to earn my no money on those gigs. Okay, and so... Now that you're, you're talking about those hard times, right? As speakers, people tend to see us as like, oh, you know, you give really great speeches and you probably don't have any speeches that aren't that good. So talk to me, um, what about a speech that you have totally bombed, like the worst speech that you have probably done? Because I think a lot of times people ask the question of what's your best speech, what's your best speech? Yeah. But I think our greatest learning experience, if you agree, is really through the worst one. And that's when you realize like, wow, okay, I really got to change up the approach or whatever it is. So, so talk, to, talk me through like what was that speech that you really bombed at? Well, the, 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 there's been a couple. There was, 
uh, before I kind of got into the world of professional speaking, many years ago, I actually stood for Parliament here in, in the United Kingdom. Um, and that's very interesting because the, the, the parliamentary system, the political system here is, is an adversarial approach. Um, so I would go into a room, I might be going speaking um, hustings for an election, and there might be 100 people in the room, and I knew that 99 of them hated me. You know, actually really didn't like me, didn't like my, the party I was particularly standing for at that point, uh, didn't like anything. They were there to see me fail. So this is the good, this is the good thing because most time as a professional speaker, you go and, you go, in fact, most time as any type of speaker, you go and speak, most people in the room want to see you succeed. Most people don't sure. want to see you fail because they're there, they've paid their money or they're, they've booked their ticket, they're attending this event. They want to be entertained or inspired or educated. Um, so that was a little bit different because I was going into rooms where everyone pretty much, except maybe my wife or maybe a friend that was there, wanted me to fail. And uh, so you would try certain things in rooms like that about really trying to change people's minds. And, and I know you've, you've done a lot of background in things like NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, for example. So I'd kind of pull on some of those techniques like anchoring and how you use your voice and body and future pacing and all those things um, to try and change the audience. And sometimes it would work. But I remember one case in particular, I, um, I was speaking at an event, there's about 100 people in the room, and uh, actually, I, I really liked my opponent. Uh, he was a very nice man. He's, 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 very, he's actually a very good politician. He's a very good man. But his wife was sitting right in front of me for the whole presentation. And obviously, she really didn't probably like me. And, and um, I know she had, a, she had a, that, that love of her husband there, and I'm competing with her husband on this thing. So I'm giving my presentation the whole time. Every time I try and land a line or, or land something, I'm kind of looking at her face and nothing, in fact, anger maybe occasionally, or at the very best, just nothing. And it was, it was incredibly dispiriting um, doing those. And I felt this is really bomb, this has not gone well. But then I would, as I'm doing the Q and A's or chatting to people afterwards, there might be five people in that room, 10 people in that room, and I'd change their mind. And I'd won them over to my opinion. So I kind of left feeling, well, it's not all bad. I've actually, I have achieved, it felt pretty bad for me in the moment, but over time you kind of, you, you do change people's mind. And I think that the key skill going into rooms like that, where you can very easy to bomb, easy to kind of fail. You have a low bar to fail. Um, one of the nice things it taught me was how to do Q and A sessions. So when you give a keynote speech, often you'll be speaking for 45 minutes and then you have like 15 minutes and people are firing all kinds of questions. I was speaking yesterday doing a virtual presentation. I had 400 questions that came in. And obviously I had only 15 minutes. So the host, they selected some of the questions, but I don't know what those questions are. So you get very good at thinking on your feet and being very improvisational and just going, oh, okay, I'm going to take it there. Or I kind of, that's a good question. But really what I want to do is I want to take that question and generalize it enough so everyone in the room can learn from it. Um, so those are the good things that you learn. So even if they're like absolutely bomb, there's always something you can learn from a speech. That's a really great approach to the Q&A. So you get that reflective uh, approach yeah. as well. So uh, now that you talked about uh, your speech in parliament, how about a time of a speech where you thought you were doing well, but it went the other way? Because I think we, we do have yeah. those moments where like, yeah, I think I'm doing well. Then after that, like, oh, we hear the feedback, like, oh, crap it isn't that good yeah i i think that the, the hardest ones of those is where um sometimes you'll get booked to go and give um 
uh, a speech somewhere and the through various cross wires maybe the person that had booked you to give the speech maybe they hadn't been uh really they hadn't really understood their boss exactly what they wanted in a speaker so they, they'd said I, I can think of one i did not so long ago um and it was for uh c-suite leaders um from an insurance company and it was in asia and but it was a very small group it was only i was actually i was brought they flew me all the way from the united kingdom to speak to a room of 12 people in the room. So just 12 people in the room, very oh, small. Really, group. really small. And actually, it's not that, I mean, I've, I've spoken to small groups, very senior leaders. Uh, sometimes this is called kind of boardroom advisory type work. Um, and actually often it's fine because you, there's a different energy in the room. It's almost like more conversational style. It's not, you're not the sage on the stage, you're the guide on the side. It's a kind of different energy that you're using in the room. But in this case, this uh, the CEO of this organization, I wasn't able to speak to them in advance. They'd actually booked it through, uh, through a bureau. Um, and, the, and then there was also an event planner between the CEO and between the bureau. So it was like Chinese whispers coming to me, actually what the client wanted. I was never able to speak to the client. And if I had been able to speak to the client, I could have found exactly what they were looking for. And I could, I could either said, yeah, I could do that or, or no. But in this case, I couldn't. And so what happened is I went into the room, I prepared... The presentation I thought they were wanting. We did a pre-event call, and we, I, 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 they were telling actually really what we want is we want something super motivational, super high energy, like really like uh, just big ideas. Don't go into detail, big ideas. But really, what the client wanted was they wanted very actionable, tactical, very specific types of ideas only related to their industry, only related to the insurance industry. And I was giving examples of entertainment. I was giving examples from the construction industry, from all different types of things. And it just didn't work. And I could tell, you know, when you're in, when you're in a room and you feel this isn't, nothing's connecting here. And it's, and it's a hard one because there's only so much you can, you can do. And, and the way I like to do my slides, if I'm giving presentation, I'm using slides, is I like, like to keep them vague enough if I'm sensing there's something wrong that is not connecting, I've got enough ability to wiggle, to move about a little bit and say, well, that's like, I can actually talk about this thing on that slide. Or if it's, that's not really working well, I can flip and I can tell this other story instead. But at that point, you know, I was in the room. Frankly, I was probably the wrong speaker for the room. And uh, they'd also just come through two days of brutal uh, financial reports, meetings in this very small room. Uh, in this hotel. And then I come in as the motivational speaker, trying to motivate 12 people who have been stuck in a, in, in a stuffy room for two days. And that's a, that's a tough gig. And, you know, I frankly, I think you could have put Tony Robbins in that room and he would have struggled uh, anyway. So, uh, that, that, but then you, you learn. And that, that was just about a learning that you always have to, if you can try and speak to the client, the end client. Oh, you're great. Now we're talking about learning experiences, right? What were your, or what are some of your biggest learning experiences from the hundreds of speeches that you have already given? Yeah, I think that, the, the, um, I mean, there's so many. Every time you, I'm always trying to kind of learn. I, I, when I come off stage, I, I usually ask myself two, a few questions. It's my little version of a debrief. And one is, you know, what, what, were, the, um, what were the three things I learned from doing that speech, that presentation? And what was the one thing I want like to do better or differently? Um, and so I'm always, and then next time I go and give a speech, 
whatever that thing I'd like to do better or differently, I'll try and really focus and put attention and be present on trying to improve that one thing. So that's the first one is always being reflective after you've given a speech. Cause you know, what it's like when you go up on stage that 60 minutes, it goes so quick, it disappears. So I definitely encourage anyone that's speaking, regardless of what level you're at, film your speeches. It's going to be painful to watch them afterwards. But it's very important that you do watch them and you see, oh, that thing, I thought that pacing was really good, but it wasn't. Or I thought that story landed, but it didn't really. Or I, I'm unsure that the bridging about that story to that story didn't quite work. So, you know, that was a big thing. You know, almost like be like a sports person. A top sports person is going to film all of their plays so they can watch it back and see how they can become better and, and be reflective in that, that way. And then obviously when I interviewed uh, some of the world's top speakers, for uh, something called International Speakers Summit. And, and the, the big learning that I got from that was really about professional speaking is that there are as many business models for this business as there are speakers. Uh, I know some speakers who just give keynotes. That's all they want to do and that's great, that's fine. That's, that's all they want to do. I know other speakers who love hosting or emceeing as well as speaking. I know other people who love training and speaking. I know other people who actually don't like going and speaking on stage that often so they prefer to do virtual presentations or they prefer to write books, for example. And they, and they built an entire business model that allows them to only speak a few times a year, but that's enough because it allows them to support the business. Okay, great. And now you're talking about that whole um, virtual international speaker submit, right? So after interviewing so many speakers, what was the advice that created the biggest breakthrough for you as a speaker after interviewing all of them? It was so hard because I would record them. I would do maybe five a day and I would come back and I would come back, leave the studio and I'd go home and I would just sit there for an hour exhausted after doing all of these interviews and just trying, reviewing my notes and just trying to pick out some of, some of those key ideas and, and insights. And um, it's a hard one because a lot of my friends who, uh, who attended the summit, they said to me, James, you know, I, I don't have time to watch all 125 interviews. Which ones would you watch? Which ones? And it was so hard for me because every single one, there was something that was new that was, that was learned. But I, I mean, I'll, I'll just give you a couple of examples. You know, you had someone like Sally Hogshead, who's a great speaker from America, who talks about branding and marketing and being fascinating. And she shared one idea, which was how to 10x multiply by 10 your fees. It was quite a simple concept of how to do it. But it was incredibly powerful. So that, that, was, that was worth it there, just listening to that one. I had another speaker on who was talking about, um, you know, really his overall business. And this is a, this is a, this is a speaker who has a, a disability. So he can't be on the road quite as much as maybe someone like able-bodied like myself can. So he'd managed to build a speaking business, which I think he did about $1.5 million last year on his keynotes but he did six, over $6 million on his online training and his online programs because he can do a lot of those online programs when he's at home. He doesn't have to be on the road. So then that kind of made me think about, wow, you can re completely restructure how you run your business. And then there's other just very, very um, simple ones. Like you're in Singapore, for example, there's so many great speakers in Singapore and uh, there was so many wonderful ideas. I'll give you one that always kind of keeps coming to mind, which was Frederick Haran, who's another speaker like myself, talks on creativity, great speaker. And he said, um, the best marketing you can do is to give a great speech. 
best marketing you can do is to give a great speech. I didn't quite understand it when he first said, I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine. But I'm doing Facebook ads and we're doing social media and we're doing all this kind of cool stuff. And then I, I followed it up and I said, well, how do you know if you've given a great speech? And he said, you know, if you've given a great speech, if two people immediately come up to you at the end of the speech and say, we would like to book you, we would like to actually pay you to come and, and, and do an event. And I remember after that doing a series of events where, you know, you might have no one come up to you immediately afterwards and ask to book you again. But I remember getting to a point where I think like two or three people came up to him immediately afterwards and said, we would love, we thought it was great. We'd love to book you to come and keynote at one of our conferences or our events. And I immediately messaged Frederick and I said to him, I think, I think I'm getting there. I think I'm getting there just now. And then once you do that, if you give a great speech, every time you give a speech, you get another two speeches. And it's regardless of whether it's in person or it's a virtual speech, you're always continuing because most speakers get most of their dates because someone has seen them speak or someone's recommended them for a speech. And that's how you can get the snowball effect. Okay, great. So what, after like so many years of speaking, what do you think are the greatest values and beliefs that a speaker should have? Yeah, um, I've been thinking about this recently, just obviously in light of what's kind of going on uh, around the world. And it was, there was a fascinating program I was watching the other day, um, it's a, a natural history kind of documentary, like a Richard, like an Attenborough type of program. And it was all about primates. So uh, apes, monkeys, chimpanzees, all the different types of the, the primates that we are you know, descended from. And what, something, they said a line in it, and the, the, the narrator, he said this line, which he said, adaptability and resilience are the hallmarks of primates. Adaptability and resilience are the hallmarks of primates. And I thought about that in relation to the work that you know, we do as speakers. And I think, especially what we're going on just now, we have to be really adaptable because the industry the tectonic plates have just shifted. And I know speakers who's had a very, very, you know, last year would have done maybe 100, 200 speeches. And this year, they're not going to do any in person. Heard a lot and that. so that's one side. But then I think there's this other element, which is resilience. And this is kind of like mental health, mental strength. Um, and this is just having that ability to, um, to deal with the knocks and the blows that come and, and the, 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 the setbacks, because you're going to have setbacks in your career. So those two things, adaptability and resilience, I think are very, very key values that we need to have as speakers and, and in life more, more generally. Um, and on the adaptability one, and I guess on the resilience one, there's a quote I often think about, which was, is, um, is a Bruce Lee quote, when he talks about be like water. So when you have these things, these big, stones are put in front of you these big roadblocks are put in front of you and, and anyone could think that's it i have stopped game over i can't go any further but if you be like water well water you would go around it you go over it you go under it you would find any way to get around this block and i think if you go with that that adaptability that resilience type of mindset these are great values to have as a speaker okay so you mentioned about um, this whole thing about adaptability and resilience right so um if you don't mind, share with us what are some of your greatest challenges that you have gone through as a speaker, but most people don't really know about them. Yeah, so there's lots. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, challenges as a speaker. You know, one of the ones um, initially, I, I and I thought I, I'm I live here in the UK, and there I thought you know majority of my speaking engagements would be in the UK, maybe in Europe because of this, you know it's where where I live. But I found it was very, very difficult for me to get booked in the UK. Most of my 
in my engagements, my speaking engagements are outside of the UK. I really speak in my own home country. And uh, I was talking to Manoj Vasudevan, who's a great speaker, uh, lives in uh, Singapore, Singapore now yeah. as well. Um, and Manoj, we were having this kind of conversation about it because I think uh, Manoj is in Singapore, but he really speaks in Singapore. He speaks a lot kind of internationally. And he calls it the alien advantage. Right. <laughs> that, yeah. that sometimes you just don't get booked in your own country because you're the same. I look exactly the same as everyone else here, really. Um, so, and you sound the same. So there's no, no advantage there. So for me, that was a bit of a setback because I thought I'd be getting booked lots. Now, when I change, I thought, okay, I need to adapt. I need to change. I need to find out where I'd be more in demand. And it turned out, for me, that was places like the Middle East. Um, that was places like America, for example, where, they, where my strange accent, and they kind of quite like it. Um, places like South America, which are, are newer territories as well. That was one part. The other kind of knockback I felt at the start was, um, you know, a lot of, uh, for speakers, a lot of speakers who get booked at fees over 15,000 US dollars, most of that work is coming in through bureaus, through speaker bureaus. Now, so I thought that's great. So I'm just going to sign up work with lots of different speaker bureaus and that's wonderful. And they can book me dates and, and, uh, around the world. But what I found is that at the start, most speaker bureaus will not be interested in adding you to their roster if you've not reached a certain fee level. So really until you hit kind of like 10,000 us dollars, most speaker bureaus won't be interested in you. So I had to think, so, okay, well, how do I deal with this? So what I decided to do was, I'm going to use the experience I had in terms of online, online marketing, for example, and use that and apply that to the world of speaking. Because most speaking up until that point, or most speakers tend to be very good at sales, but not so good at marketing. And they're different things. And especially very few of them are very good at online marketing. So I started really investing time and effort in things like SEO, PPC, like all the, um, uh, you know, offsite SEO <laughs> rankings, position rankings, uh, highly optimized pages, you know, geeky kind of things, but they allowed me to very quickly start getting inquiries directly. And then as I was getting more and more inquiries, I was able to start raising my fees. And at that point, then I started working with, with bureaus, but it would have been very easy early on to say, I just can't get any gigs. These bureaus, I just can't get in with these bureaus, the gatekeepers, but now I work with about 20 bureaus around the world because I was able to initially go direct and then you gradually build a position, you build a following. Yeah, actually I was just about to ask you that question because I see you when I was researching about you and I'm like, oh wow, go on the second page and third page and then it's just different bureaus that, that yeah, you're yeah. on. <laughs> so it's really amazing that you were on like almost everyone that I could found, find in, on the internet. So. Speaking about starting out as speaking, and then that was probably your greatest challenges, right? So if you could only give one advice to a starting speaker, what would that be, right? Yeah, if I could only give one advice is just take action, take massive action. Um, you know, it's, it's like when you're on a you know, on a, on a, 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 a we, uh, when, when, you know, with new kids, you know, you have like a rocking thing, like you, one kid's on one, one kid's on the other, and you can have a seesaw, uh, rocking seesaw. Um, you know how long it takes for, to get that seesaw to move? You have to like put a lot of force into it at the start, but then when you get that force, it really starts. And I think speaking careers are like that as well. If you just do a little bit of action, you're just going to get a little bit of reward. 
Um, you have to really focus your time efforts. Think about yourself. What is the, what are your skills? Uh, where can, where do you have an unfair and an unfair advantage, frankly, amongst other speakers? And sometimes that could just be, maybe you're really good at doing videos and videography and you love that or you love filmmaking and you just have a passion for that and you can apply to that. Maybe you're, you're just a super high energy type of person, very good activation sessions or energy sessions. Uh, at events. So you kind of have to go that way. Perhaps you're more intellectual and you love writing. So you need to be more like an author, author speaker and you can have just too massive action, but you just need to take action, 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 action. Um, you can have the best ideas in the world, but give me someone any day who takes massive action over someone that has some of the best ideas. The action person will usually win. So obviously you have definitely embedded that into your core personality. So talk us through some moments where you took this action and because of that compounded effect it got you to where you are today yeah i mean a perfect example we were mentioning earlier like international speakers summit um and that started from me wanting to learn from other speakers the best speakers in the world but i was no one no one knew who i was uh, at that point so what i decided to do is instead of just uh maybe reaching out emailing some speakers asking for some advice that would be the the low energy, the low action version, I actually went, okay, how can I make this 10 times bigger? How about if I interviewed all of these people, but instead of doing it maybe as a podcast or, or a series or a web series or something, I compressed it into a small period of time and we took massive action in the space of like, so this was a 10 day event, for example, just like huge amount, everyone's promoting in those 10 days. Everyone's talking about the summit in the 10 days. And as a result of that, we got 22,000 attendees on that online summit because we just took massive action. We were really, really focused on what we wanted to do. And it was a lot of early mornings, a lot of late nights, but here's the thing. Most people aren't willing to put in that work. Sure. Most people want the, the easy sure. way of doing things. And if you can, uh, Warren Buffett always talks about in his businesses, he's always trying to increase the, the size of the moat. The, you know, economic that, so, yes. that, that mo if I can increase the size of that moat every day, it makes it more difficult for someone to compete against me. So think about that for yourself. You know, what is something that you can do that frankly, if you do it well, if you execute on it well and you do it in a massive way, most other people, your competitors are going to go, I'm not going to do that. That looks too hard. That's, that's too difficult. Um, and that will usually dissuade them from, from trying to do it. So in that case, I just went massive into doing online summits and then I did five in a row or something. And I really, really got good at how to do online summits. Yeah, I really love the point where you say, find an angle where basically you're different from the rest, right? Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people has to work on. If not, everyone's just going to be the same person like anyone else. So yeah. speaking about you, just a really, really interesting question and because I'm very curious, what makes you James Taylor then? Since you talk about, you know, differentiating yourself from other speakers, what makes you James Taylor? Well, you actually just mentioned the word, curiosity. That's what makes me me. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very curious. I'm always learning things. People are like, why are you suddenly learning about this obscure thing? Because I'm naturally curious. And sometimes it may help in the work I do, but often it's just because I love learning. So that, you know, that essence of learning, curiosity, that's like the, that's the, the, um, the fuel for creativity, the fuel for innovation. So that for me, that's what makes me, me 
is I need to, in my, my week, I need to have time when I'm not doing interviews and I'm not creating, you know, necessarily building and creating things and, and being and speaking where I'm just, I call it kind of pottering. I'm just sitting there, maybe reading a book on an obscure thing or just going for a walk and, and listening to an obscure podcast or something as well. And for me, it's about curiosity and keeping that kind of curiosity alive. And I think that that comes over. If you go and give a speech on stage, um, you know, I know some people get nervous before they go and speak on stage. Many people get nervous. And for what's always worked for me is that instead of saying I'm nervous, I say I'm excited. excited. I'm excited. Just that little, that one word change, I'm nervous to accept is very, very poor. And then the other thing is if I go on saying I'm in my head, like I'm passionate about this. I feel I'm I'm so passionate about this topic. I can't wait to share it with everyone. That passion, that curiosity, that people feel that they feel that on an emotional level. If you go and just give a canned speech, which you same speech you've given multiple times before, you don't really care that much about the topic. People are going to feel that, and they'll get that in an instant. So you have to really kind of be passionate about your topic and really want to to you know almost like convince, persuade other people. How cool is this? Check this thing out. Okay, now that you're talking about passion, right? And I'm quite sure that on your journey of speaking, you have modeled a lot of different speakers. So I just want to ask you, what or who actually, who in fact are like the three speakers that you really do look up to and you model a lot from them? Um, so in, in, in the past, the speakers I, that I've, I've always liked, but for completely different reasons. Uh, I remember one of the first kind of professional speakers I went and saw was Tony Robbins. I went to one of his um, UPW, UPW events yeah. and it was great. And you did the firewalk and all that thing. Um, and I loved the entertainment value. I loved the energy, you know, what he was able to do. But I also knew kind of going back to knowing who you are, that wasn't me that, you know, that, that style wasn't me, but I loved what he was doing. The fact he could impact that kind of audience. Brilliant. But there was another speaker uh, called Edward De Bono. Uh, who is a speaker, he's much older now, he's in his 80s, but he spoke about creativity and he was quite quiet and there was nothing, there was no fireworks in his presentations like Tony Robbins, but his ideas were really fascinating. So I like that. I like being able to take ideas and and just make them them kind of interesting and make them um, curious. And then the final one I would say, and he's he's not a speaker, um, but someone I'm, I'm always kind of watching and um, watching videos and kind of thinking about them. It's someone like a, like a Frank Sinatra. Right. And that's more about how you tell a story, um, uh, putting a personality into a story, the highs and the lows of a story, how you use your body, your physicality on stage. Because you have an option on stage. You could be like a Eckhart Tolle or like a Dalai Lama, you know, very you know, relaxed. And that's a certain type of energy on stage. Or you could be like a Tony Robbins, or you could be somewhere in between. You can kind of find what is right for your energy. And I always liked uh, Frank Sinatra's energy, which is a there's a command, commandingness. He's like really good at what he does, but there's a lightness, there's a there's an agility there as well. So he's not a speaker, but how he's a communicator and he's a storyteller, which is kind of what you, know, you and I do. That's what we do. We're storytellers. Okay, I really love the point on storytelling. Right now that we're talking about storytelling, before I move on. What do you think was, or what do you think is the greatest thing that you have done with storytelling? 
the greatest thing i don't know i think i think i still have to get there it's, it's, a, it's a journey it's a, it's always a journey I, i'm always thinking about um different ways of telling stories different devices ways of telling so one i love is um is something co uh, called a cold open on a story uh, so when you go and give your speech uh if you ever watch like shows like saturday night live they'll have they'll have a cold open so you go instead of they say coming out on stage and saying today i'm going to talk to you about xyz you come out on stage and you say something like it was a cold night 1872 oh wow that's so, interesting you know and it, and it's and you go right into a cold and people are a little bit disoriented at that point they go where's this going like, like i thought this guy would come talking about right? creativity and he's talking about ships or something un, unrelated but you and this is, it's called a cold open story. And you can also do things like opening loops and closing loops, which are part of storytelling. Um, I, so I'm always thinking about different ways of telling uh, stories, different storytelling uh, devices. Uh, there's great works, people like Joseph Campbell, who wrote uh, um, uh, about the, the hero's journey, if you've ever heard yep, like the, the, the idea journey, of the hero's yep. journey, which is a very common um, device as well. Um, so, I, so I'm always kind of like thinking about different storytelling devices, but I still... I've yet to maybe get feel that I personally have get to a place where I'm 100% happy with either the stories I tell or or how I tell the stories, the impact that those stories have. Okay, so before I ask my last questions, I just want to ask you, uh, where can these people find you or learn more about you? So if you're interested in learning about creativity and my speaking programs, then you just go to jamestaylor.me.me. If you're a speaker and you're interested in you know, maybe becoming a speaker or learning about speaking, you can go to speakersu.com, speakersu.com. And also there's speakersu.com. You can find a link there to get a free pass for International Speakers Summit. So you can learn from all those wonderful speakers out there. And where can these people find you on your socials? So social, I'm, uh, I, I kind of move in different places. Sometimes I fall in love with different social platforms and then I kind of, uh, I'm less in love with them uh, at the moment. Uh, so if you go to on Twitter, if you're a Twitter person at James Taylor underscore me, if you're Instagram, I'm quite like Instagram just now, James Taylor dot me, but just type in most of, you know, if you're more of a Facebook person, just as the James Taylor official page. And we're every day, I put up a little short one minute video. Um, it's like a little 60 second video, just a little bit of an idea and insight. So I've got you can go and check those out and you'll find those on all those different platforms. You know, by the way, guys, I highly recommend you to watch his videos. I've been going through his videos for like the past few weeks ever since I started following him. Pretty insightful ideas that you pretty much don't have to pay anything for, right? And I know on your website, you put there um, almost everything that you do is given out for free. So that's pretty yeah. true, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so my last question is, what is the legacy you want to live in your life? The legacy I probably want to live in my life. I mean, it was, it was interesting. Yesterday I was giving a, uh, a talk um, and there was about 1,500 people on the presentation, attendees. I had 400 questions that came in on that, that presentation. It was, a, it was a lot of questions. And what was interesting for me was this was an audience of school children aged 11 to 14. So usually my audience is corporate executives. Um, and so I was giving this for, for school children. And it was just something I, I really am passionate about doing. A lot of people, you're, they're stuck at home just now. They're having to do you know, homeschooling. And myself and some other speakers got together and we were doing this. 
Um, and the legacy that I kind of wanted to leave from that, and I, I feel it was important, is that everyone to understand that they have this creative power, this creative potential within them. And it's possible it's something you can develop. It's like, be, like becoming better at a language, for example. So the legacy that I probably want to leave is to try and reach as many people as possible to help them unlock that creative potential that they have within them, whatever they want to do with it. I mean, they become a speaker, an architect, a lawyer, a judge, you know, whatever, the, whatever they want to, want to do with that creativity is up to them. But to recognize that they have that superpower and how to use that superpower well. Okay, great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, James. Uh, guys, if you have any opportunity to learn from him, whether it's in terms of creativity or speaking, this guy is at a pretty high level compared to a lot of other speakers. Um, so the socials will be stated down below. And so if you want to check out more about James Taylor, you can go on to his website, jamestaylor.me, right? Okay. Yep. So that's it for today's podcast. And I hope you guys have a great day ahead.